0: When I was a young man, in my early 20s, I thought I should like poetry. I thought, hey, I'm going to give poetry a shot, refresh my poetry. You know, when you're young and romantic, you know, you, you dream of, of lofty things. And I came across this poem by Robert Frost called The Road Not Taken. Maybe some of you have heard it or... Read it in, at least in an English literature class uh, at some point in your life. Maybe I don't know if you, if you're not from America, if you do that, but uh, we did. The uh, The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. The uh, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down, one as far as I could to where it bent, in the undergrowth. Then took the other, just as just as fair. And having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as far as that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So Robert Frost, as a poet, saw two roads, and he chose the one less traveled by, and that made all the difference. Well, as we come to the Psalms in a new series, called Summer Psalms, Refresh Your Soul in God. It's interesting that Psalm 1 talks about two roads, or two ways. Except unlike Robert Frost's poem, there's clearly a right way and a wrong way. The right way certainly is less traveled by, but it's not a neutral decision to go one way or the other. Like the tree described in Psalm 1, we've designed this summer psalm series to refresh your soul in God, the fountain of living waters. I'm sure that as we come to summer, as it often is, we come a little wearied and could use a bit of of refreshment, come wearied from life and the cares of this world, the cares of our family or ourselves, and uh, we could certainly use... Uh, stop off at uh, some refreshing waters. God gives us the psalms as a gift. They truly are, of course, all scripture is a gift, but God gives us the psalms as a gift because they are words of comfort and praise to refresh our soul in him. They're like an oasis in the desert, a watering hole for the soul. There's a path that you can go down in life that will lead you to a mirage. Just like in the desert, you can start seeing mirages and think that you see water and refreshment and it's all an illusion. But there's another way, and this is the way that we're given in the Psalms that will lead to real water, to real soul-quenching water. And that's my prayer for us as we dive into these psalms in this month of May and then on into the summer, that your soul will be nourished and it will be led to the fountain of living waters. It's interesting that a book about worship, God's songbook, you could call it, begins with wisdom. It begins with wisdom. In fact, the book of Psalms, as God's songbook, begins with a preface to it. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 lay a foundation for the whole book of Psalms, the whole Psalter. And Psalm 1 deals with the Word, the Word of God. Wisdom for the Word. And Psalm 2 is going to deal with the King, the Messiah. And so these two... Psalms, we're going to look at Psalm 1 today and Gideon, Lord willing, will preach Psalm 2 next week. It's going to lay a foundation for the whole Psalter, centering around the two most important themes of the Psalms. The Word of God and God's Messiah, God's King. And today we see that worship starts with wisdom about which path to go down. I'm going to argue this morning that Psalm 1 will teach us about the relationship between God's word and God's blessing. This is called the way of the righteous. And we will learn this morning as we reflect on Psalm 1 in light of the New Testament that Jesus is the way of the righteous. Jesus is the way of the righteous. So we'll look at Psalm 1 in three parts this morning and we'll begin in verses 1 and 2 that God's word is the way of wisdom. God's word is the way of wisdom. So typical of wisdom literature, there are two ways. There's a way of wisdom and a way of folly. In Psalm 1, it's described as the, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. These are two roads that we can go down. But unlike uh, Robert Frost's poem, it's not just a neutral decision, go one way or the other like your walk in the woods. There's clearly one path and only one path that is the way to blessing. In Psalm 1, we see that blessing won't come from the way of wickedness. It won't come from the way of wickedness. In verse 1, the psalmist says, Blessed is the man... Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Verse 1 describes the way of the wicked here in three different ways. Note, note how it just piles on three different ways to describe the same thing the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seat of scoffers. As I read verse 1, it describes to me the, the lawless politician and the late night talk show host, among other people. The lawless politician who will do any, they'll get their agenda across, no matter, they'll break any law, they'll slander any person, they'll mock any truth just to get their way across. And how about the late night talk show host who just mocks everything, scoffs at everything good. And it's the world that loves those two things and follows those two things. The lawless politician will lie, cheat, swindle, and steal to get his way. And the late night talk show host will make Fun of it all. But the psalmist says the blessing will not come from this way. There will be no blessing for the way of wickedness. Blessed is the man who walks not in that counsel, who stands not in that way and sits not in that seat. In verse 2, the psalmist goes on to show us that Blessing is the result of a life devoted to God's word. Blessing is the result of a life devoted to God's word. The psalmist goes on in verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Notice that the psalmist here evokes two things. He evokes both affections and actions. Both affections and actions. Firstly, the psalmist says that the word of God, God's law, is his delight. It's something he delights in. The blessed man delights in God's word. So God's word is not something that you kind of begrudgingly open up First thing in the morning, because you know that a good Christian should read their Bible every morning. And you're just kind of like, okay, just get through it and move on to the next thing. The blessed person delights to read Scripture, they have holy affections to enjoy the Word of God, to see what it says, to come under its counsel. In it's light. And likewise, the psalmist here also evokes actions, that he actually does things, that on his law he meditates day and night, so that we're not just making kind of a nice ascent. Yeah, God's Word, it's a nice thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. There's actually action behind it that leads you to meditate on God's Word day and night. Now, of course, the usage of day and night should be understood uh, to be that all the time we should be thinking about Scripture. Okay? It doesn't literally mean in the morning read the Scripture, in the night read the Scripture, though those are good actions and practices to do, and I would commend them to everyone. But it's this idea that all day we are meditating, thinking about Scripture as we go about our work in this world, that scripture is filling us, is directing us, is teaching us how to think and how to feel as we go about the highs and lows of life, the joys and the sorrows. One commentator on the Psalms said the, the Psalms themselves, the whole book, speak to every vicissitude of life. That's a big word. Speak to every vicissitude of life. In other words, the Psalms speak to every season and every experience from love and triumph to sorrow and betrayal and everything in between. God gives us these psalms to refresh our souls, to teach us how to think and to how to feel. You know, for many of us, singing the psalms these last several years together as a church has really been a new thing, as in, probably for most of us. And I'm sure, I know it was my experience when I started singing the psalms, some things that, uh, we, that you sing in the psalms they have to, it has to do a little bit of corrective work on my heart and my mind because my affections and my mind is out of balance with Scripture in biblical worship, and I actually need that corrective. And the blessed one is the one that lets their affections be shaped by the word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. There's a critical point in my spiritual development where I wanted Scripture to say one thing, but it actually said another thing. I wanted Scripture to give me free will and to let me be in control of my life. But God's word said he does according to his own will among the host of, uh, of heaven, among the inhabitants of earth. and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? We need scripture to teach us how to think and how to feel. And with this wisdom psalm, wisdom for the Christian life and wisdom for worship comes from delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night, whether that is you memorize Scripture, you sing the Psalms as a family, you study Scripture, you open up commentaries, you learn Greek and Hebrew, whatever whatever it is. The way of blessing, the way that leads to the living water in the desert, is God's Word, the way of God's Word. This is the way of wisdom. It's the way of righteousness. So if you feel thirsty and you feel that things are lacking and we all have that experience, if you want living water, you will find it in the word. God's word is the way of wisdom. Let's now move on in the psalm to verses three and four. Here we see that God's word is the way to human flourishing. God's word is the way to human flourishing. So often we feel dry and shriveled up. We feel prunish, pruney. Like when you get out of the bath and your fingers all wrinkled. But God's word is the way to allow us to truly flourish as people. In verse 3, the psalmist says that the way of wisdom is like a flourishing fruit tree. The way of wisdom is like a flourishing fruit tree. The psalmist says in verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wise person that delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night is like that tree in the botanical garden, that lovely fruit tree that's right by the water and its branches are big and strong and wide. Its leaves are green. It's flourishing. Its fruit is delicious. That's the person who meditates on God's law day and night? You're by streams of water. You yield fruit. You're a fruitful person. You're a person that bears fruit in your life, and your leaf never withers. And all that you do, you prosper. You know, the Christian life sometimes feels the opposite of that, though, doesn't it? Sometimes you're faithfully laboring. In the ministry of the word, you're laboring in your families, in your workplaces with the gospel, and it feels like you just meet constant rejection. And then you look at Psalm 1, you're like, I don't feel like I'm yielding fruit. I don't feel, I feel like I'm withering. I don't feel like I'm prospering. Do you know that Paul gives us in, in 1 Corinthians this promise of hope and First Corinthians 15, do you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain? Your labor in the Lord is never in vain. It may look like you're on the dry, dusty desert path to nowhere sometimes, but your labor is never in vain. You know, Paul in Corinth had a very difficult church he was serving there. He could certainly think, all of this is totally vain. I mean... The church is getting all upset about worship. The wrong people are taking the Lord's Supper. People are getting sick. People are dying. They're placing personal pride above faith and humility. They do not even have a concept of what love is. You know, Paul could easily be thinking that what was the point of that ministerial work? And yet, even to that church in Corinth, he tells them be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for your labor in the Lord is never in vain. So your labors for the gospel in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, with your family is not in vain. doesn't mean God will let us see all of the fruit. because God the way God sees fruit is the different than the way we usually see fruit. But in the final account, none of that, none of it none of your labor in the Lord will be in vain. Be faithful to the word and the true spiritual fruit will come in God's way and in God's time. Contrasting the way of the blessed person, the way of the righteous, the way of wisdom, is the way of the wicked. And the psalmist says in verse 4 that the way of the wicked is like biological waste. The way of the wicked is like biological waste. Verse 1 and 4, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. You know, chaff is like the husk on the wheat. It's useless. It has no purpose. And when it falls to the ground, it just blows away. The psalmist is showing us, do you want to be the delicious fruit tree or the biological waste, the byproduct that is useless. Which one do you want? The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Do you want to experience godly, spiritual flourishing in your life? Do we want to experience it in our church? Godly, spiritual, human flourishing. The only way we will experience that in our church, in our families, in our own lives is by meditating on the law of God day and night. God's word is the way to human flourishing. Thirdly then, and finally, God's word is the way of salvation. God's word is the way of salvation. In verses 5 and 6, the psalmist tells us that the wicked will not stand in God's judgment. He says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We see that these two roads in psalm 1 do not both lead to rome right these two roads do not lead to heaven the way of the wicked leads to death it leads to that mirage in the desert it looks like there's water there but there's there ain't actually anything the way of the wicked will lead to god's judgment The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This is an interesting turn of phrase here, sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Because in the visible people of God, it's always been a mixed community of believers and unbelievers. It was that way in Israel, and it's still that way today. And sometimes even the wicked are running the church. Take the medieval Roman Catholic Church, for example, where you had wicked leaders running the church. This is the whole point of the Reformation. Even if sinners stand in the congregation now, boastfully or proudly, whether as congregants or as leaders, they will not stand in the congregation of the righteous in the day of judgment because God knows the heart. We see in verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. But now here comes a problem for each one of us sitting here. And it gets to how should we read Psalm 1 at all? Should we sing Psalm 1 boasting of our greatness for meditating on God's law day and night? Is this really a psalm primarily about us and how we can save ourselves? Well, I hope you know me good enough to know no. If we sing, if we, if we sing Psalm 1 on our own merits, it's nothing but depressing. It's the very opposite of refreshing. We stand condemned by Psalm 1. Because none of us meditates on God's law day and night. None of us do. None of us perfectly follow God's law. None of us are righteous in our own standing. This was a major problem in the church. Remember, as Paul was writing to the Romans, and the Jews and Gentiles were quarreling with one another within the church, Paul had to level the ground and remind them that none of you are righteous. Remember Romans 3, 9? What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not all. Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So we sing Psalm 1 on our own. It just damns us. There's no encouragement for us whatsoever singing Psalm 1 because none of us can stand and walk in the way of the righteous. But the good news is, just as the way of blessing comes from God's word, God sent his living word to redeem us. And that's why God's word is the way of salvation. The gospel of John begins with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God." John 1, 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus walked the way of wisdom. Jesus walked the way of the righteous to lead us to God. And Jesus took the penalty for the way of our wickedness to satisfy God's judgment. In theological terms, we can talk about righteousness in two different ways. We can talk about active righteousness and passive righteousness. Active and passive righteousness. And Jesus fulfilled all righteousness actively by living and practicing the law perfectly, by never sinning, by following God, following the Father, saying, Not my will, but yours be done. That's Jesus' active righteousness. But Jesus also perfectly satisfied passive righteousness in that he took on the penalty for sin, for wickedness that we deserved. He took on our sin and our wickedness, the penalty for us choosing to walk the way of the wicked. He took that on himself passively to fulfill righteousness. So Jesus fulfills in his righteousness the totality of the problem that we created. He perfectly actively fulfilled God's law in how he lived, and he passively took on our sins and wickedness and dealt with them on the cross. Jesus then becomes for us the living word that is the way of salvation. Thus Jesus is the only way to eternal life and ultimate human flourishing. We read in our scripture reading this morning from John chapter 4 or sorry John 14 and uh, looking there at verse 6 Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. We've been watching The Mandalorian as a family, and they keep saying, This is the way, this is the way. Maybe some of you have seen this, but uh, they just can only take uh, what God has made, I guess. But Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way of the righteous. Actively, passively, and we follow him to the living water that he gives. No one is righteous before God. No one has perfectly walked the way of the righteous. None of us can stand in God's judgment. Therefore, God sent us his living word to walk that road for us. Jesus is the only way to God. He's the only way to human flourishing. He is the way of the righteous. And as we'll continue to see in this series, Jesus is the subject and object of our worship in the Psalms, together with the Father and the Spirit. So my charge and my challenge to you is, if you want to sing Psalm 1 with hope, sing it by faith in Jesus as his disciple following his way. Refresh your soul in God by drinking from the fountain of living waters. Put your faith in Christ, God's living word, and follow him, for he is the way of the righteous, the way of wisdom, and the way to eternal blessing. Amen.